I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is the 450th show for April 6th, 2015. On today's show, pianist Kat Torin. Are you a member yet? Membership at $5 a month gets you MP3s and helps keep the extensive archives of the Jazz Session online. So if you'd like other people, including yourself actually, to be able to access the 450 shows that currently exist, please kick in your 5 bucks a month. It's a huge help because it is not cheap to keep 450 shows worth of audio data on a server somewhere. So any help you can provide would be great. You can join at thejazzsession.com slash join. Don't forget to rate and review the show in iTunes. And a note about the radio edition of The Jazz Session. I've decided that it's time to put that thing to bed. I am now doing three podcasts uh, plus stand-up and playing music and having a job and children and all those things. And something has to go, and I think it's going to be the radio version of The Jazz Session. So thank you to everybody who has uh, checked in with that over the last year. And that energy is just going into making the main show now, uh, which I think is better all around. Speaking of stand-up, I have another podcast over at firstlaughs.com. You can find interviews there with comedians about their early days in comedy. And primarily, you can find audio from my early days in comedy. Check out my blog at jasoncrane.org for poetry and more. And if you need a bio or a press release for your new record, maybe some liner notes, head over to cranewrites.com and see what I've done for other people. I can't remember how I learned about pianist Kat Torin, although there's some chance that I learned about her maybe last year or so from the music of Jasmine Lovell Smith, who was on the last episode. But Kat is a really very fine piano player uh, whose music I've been watching ever since I discovered that she existed. She's got a new album that's going to be out, and it contains some really wonderful music, and you are going to be the first people to hear it. Here's a sneak peek at Kat Torin's new recording.
My guest is Kat Torin, a wonderful jazz pianist and composer. It's great to have you on the show, Kat. Welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, this most recent episode of the show, at least as we're recording this, uh, was an interview with Jasmine Lovell-Smith, in whose band uh, you sometimes play. And she said something which really struck me, because it's kind of the same way I feel about your playing. She said, you really can't help but be moved when you listen to Cat Torin. And I forget who introduced me to you, but but I felt largely the same way when I first uh, heard you play. I think it, maybe it was in some YouTube videos. And I just remember uh, thinking how how quickly you were able to kind of get to the like the emotional center of the pieces you played. And so I thought maybe I could just ask you about your approach to improvising and whether you feel that a, an emotional connection is is at the center of it. Um, well, first of all, thank you. I'm flattered because <laughs> I think an emotional connection is at the core of almost everything that I do. I'm a pretty sensitive person and I can't really do anything for too long if it's if I don't believe it, you know, if I don't feel it. Which is maybe why I like improvising so much because you it's almost your job to tell the audience or whoever is present, the other musicians, what's going on inside of you and how you're you're speaking with one another. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that in a setting where there are uh, no lyrics to convey a message, where you have to do it all through your through your playing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I I listen to a lot of instrumental music, and I I feel specific things when I when I hear this music, um, but I don't know if I could explain to you with words exactly why that is. But a song comes to mind that's by John Luther Adams. It's called "The Wind in High Places," and I guess because of the title, yeah, actually, the title kind of tells you what the song, what the song is about. So when you listen to it, you feel like you're you've just hiked like ten hours up this hill, up this mountain, and you are lying on the ground. And you know what the wind sounds like when it's rushing through trees in the alpine. That music really feels like that. So if I have this idea, maybe it's a couple words or an image like the Alpine or something. I'll just try to regenerate what sounds might feel the same. Is telling that to the audience a part of your performance style? Or are you? do you say anything to the audience when you're playing? Do you announce song titles? Do you talk about where songs come from? Yeah, I'm getting better at talking on stage. <laughs> you know, my confidence in my stage banter is improving. Um yeah, and, and I, I like telling the audience, this is what the song is about, this is when I wrote it, this is what it's called. Um, if we're freely improvising, I I tend not to do that because it's really up to the, it's up to whoever is listening to let them take it somewhere. And, and a lot of the times, not really sure where it's going. It's funny, though, when I feel like I'm trying to tell the audience something that's just not working, like either my fingers aren't doing what they're supposed to or something is going on, I get upset after the gig, you know? Like, I don't think that people heard what I was trying to say. It's my fault. And then I mull over it for a few days until I get over it, and then I try again. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. I'm not sure I've ever actually heard anyone say that on the show before. So you, you have a feeling that there is there is really a particular image you are or are not conveying while you're playing, and you can tell whether you 
whether you're doing what's in your mind or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's not super specific. It's not like I can put a sentence of, you know, some words to it, but it's a feeling. Like, it's either, um, you know, it's maybe it's a feeling of grace or relaxation, or maybe it's um, humor or, you know, words are vague to me. They could mean many things, but I am always trying to convey something, a certain part of me. And if I feel like it didn't work out for whatever reason, then it makes me a bit sad. You know, one one thing that I really like about the collaborative process of music is that while you may have a certain image of your mind, in your mind, for example, of what, you know, a three-word phrase conjures, you're often also playing with other people, and they might hear that same three-word phrase, and they might have very real associations with it, but that aren't quite the same as yours. And so it seems like there's always that you know, we're we're all bringing our history to the stage and trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to navigate these images, even though we're all, you know, we're not all working with the same brain, obviously. Would you talk yeah. a little bit about, about collaboration, what you look for in people that you play with, for example? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of musicians will say when it, when it works, it works. You just click with some people. It's the same as when you're, you know, when you're just making friends out in the real world. And different people bring out different sides of you, too. You know, you got some friends where you're always goofy around them. It's always funny. Um, some friends where it's more, you know, maybe it's more deep. You're serious or something like that. Or you have that unspoken connection, you know. Everyone brings out something different. Some people make you nervous, you know. And that comes out in the playing, too. So, in the end, I think that as long as I can feel like I'm being myself and standing my own and... um whatever the the other musicians are bringing out of me, as long as it's still me, then I'm okay with it. Before we talk about what's coming up from you, I'd like to fill in a little bit of your history for the listeners. Can you talk a little bit about how you first started playing the piano or playing music in general? Sure, yeah. Um, I started pretty young, four or five years old, uh, with piano. And 
I'm from Vancouver, Canada, and in Canada we have something called the Royal Conservatory of Music, and where you go through grades and tests and theory, history, harmony, etc. So I went through this classical school. Um, is it a school you go about, to in addition to regular school, or that is your school? That is the school you attend. No, in addition, yeah. In yeah. addition, so it's okay. Private lessons, and then as you get into high school, you can use some some credits transfer over, and that's nice. And you know, it's it's recognized. Um, yeah. So in the twelfth grade, I was finding playing classical music limiting and challenging, um, and I thought I wanted to take a break. And I was playing in the concert band, French horn and trumpet and the jazz band, and I was really spread thin, I guess. And so my mom suggested maybe you start learning jazz piano or a different style of music. And just so basically she was saying, don't quit. Just see what else you can do. Um, so I said, okay. And started taking jazz lessons. And I started playing with the jazz choir in the rhythm section. And I really loved it. So I went to to jazz school for my undergrad. And I'm actually going to do my my master's starting this year. So I, I took seven years off school. <laughs> well <laughs> needed, you know. Um, what, why yeah. did you love it when you started playing uh, in the jazz choir and started playing in the jazz band? Do you remember what it was about it that appealed to you back then? I liked the music a lot. The music was, it was really fun. Now, it's funny now because I, I don't really say the music I'm writing sounds super fun and peppy, <laughs> but that's what drew me to jazz at the start. People were having a good time. And people were dancing. It was great. I liked the dance music. I was first drawn to the big band music. Duke Ellington, Glenn Miller, you know, the dance music at the time. And in those earliest days playing in the jazz band and playing with the jazz choir, was there improvisation involved or were you mostly playing charts in those days? Mostly charts. Um, there was room for improvising, but I had no idea how to improvise. I would literally write out my solos and memorize them and learn them. <laughs> 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 Until, you know, but that that's a good way to learn, you know? So sure. that happened. <laughs> then I went to college and... I had a very steep learning curve, but I managed it, and I'm really happy that I went. I, it was a pretty hardcore bebop schooling that I had, and I'm grateful for that. And when you say a steep learning curve, was that true for everyone, or did you feel like other people had kind of been at this longer than you when you were in college? Yeah, I felt like a lot of the people that were that were in the same um, year as me I've been playing a lot of blues and jazz prior to, to the start of school, whereas I had one year experience of basically writing everything out. You know, I would have to learn things on all 12 keys and I would write it out. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell my students, please don't do that if you can help it, you know. <laughs> so uh, was it in lessons that you were first introduced to improvising without planning it out ahead of time? Yeah, it was it was in a small ensemble class in college. So for the first few, you know, you have to you have to perform repertoire, autumn leaves and blue monk and all those songs. So the, for the first couple, I would memorize some licks and try to meander my way through, and 
eventually that didn't seem so fun anymore and I just started to go for it. And what was that like when you first started to go for it? Do you remember any of those early performances when you just walked out to the piano with, with nothing planned? Yeah, it was terrifying. I was so terrified. <laughs> like, how is this going to go? I have no idea. Um, you know, and some of it was awful. It was totally horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lot. I mean, of course, it's so much better now. I feel confident. It's, I love it. This is the kind of music I want to be playing. Um, I I play less of that more bebop style jazz although i still do some gigs in that in that type of jazz um i work a lot with people that write their own compositions and i compose myself a lot and i play a lot of free improv stuff and i don't know i i'm happy that i've had the kind of well-versed studies throughout my life when you got to college, is that when you started really listening to other performers too? Listening to, you know, classic recordings and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I guess it kind of started in grade 12, but in college I had to get very deep into it. And do you remember when you first started listening, were there people who spoke to you particularly? Yeah. Um, I got really into the Keith Jarrett Standards Trio. I only had two tapes. I had a tape deck in my car, and I only had two tapes. And one of them was Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. And the other one was, was Keith Jarrett, Standards Live. And I would just listen to those tapes to and from school for a whole year, my first year. <laughs> so there's well, that's, still that's two of my favorite selection. albums. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, no, those great. are both, both great records. Amazing um, records. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I, I wonder, I mean, if you think about it now, do you... Do you think there are as many ways that things like the Smashing Pumpkins appear in your playing as things like Keith Jarrett, or is that me just trying oh, yeah. to put too easy a spin on it? Oh, totally. Yeah. I love the Smashing Pumpkins. Still listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
so as you started to listen to other people, and particularly, I mean, you you started at a pretty high place if you were listening to Keith Jarrett every day on the way to school, and that trio. Do you remember how you first started to form your your early ideas about what improvising meant and what what improvising with other people meant? Um, I I found it difficult to improvise with other people at the start because I was so concerned about what I was doing myself, which maybe isn't, I mean, it's not the best way to go about it. I mean, I I wanted to learn the jazz language because I was going to school that was very bebop oriented. Um, And I was, I was nervous that I wasn't going to do well. So I was transcribing people. I would be transcribing Bill Evans, Keith Jarrett, Herbie Hancock. Um, and I was just trying to make it through the changes on my own, which is fine, but it's certainly not how I see it any longer. Now you're building something with the whole band when you take a solo. It's that, I don't know. I don't even, I like soloing, I guess, but I feel like it's very collective thing. When you're taking a solo, it's can't really go anywhere if the band's not going anywhere. We're all in it together, you know. Have to be listening, and I—I I was always rushing back then, and being afraid, and really trying to erase a lot of that fear. Um, yeah, and a lot of my career has just been, just been trying to relax and listen and see what does the music really need, hearing the aggregate sound of what's going on. You know. Do you remember any moments, you know, either in college or when you started your professional career, some some moment where you felt like things really came together for the first time? Like you felt like, oh, okay, I know, I see where I am now and, and how to do this my own way. Um, hmm, good question. Um, well, I remember when I first started to feel comfortable just playing tunes and just sitting in the groove that drummer was laying down and just feeling like feeling the sense of confidence that I hadn't felt before some I guess that was maybe in second or third year and before long I was in the top a band and really having a lot of fun and I wasn't afraid anymore and it was going really well um but in terms of personal style you know not not trying to be in a certain style, I'm still trying to find my way, but I think it was maybe just a few years ago or started to feel like that was really showing. I remember one of the first examples of your playing that I ever heard and also saw at the same time was a series of YouTube videos that you made that I think were called the Big Wrench Sessions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember just thinking while I was watching you how how completely comfortable you seemed to just let whatever was happening in the moment happen. And a lot of what was happening in the moment on some of those tunes is a lot of space, you know, a lot of, not necessarily silence, but sustained notes and a, uh, just a lot of time where you're almost sitting back and choosing when to enter the conversation. And to me, that's always struck me as a mark of someone who is kind of finally understanding that it's okay not to play all the time and not to fill up the space and, uh, you know, I, maybe this is somewhat of a cliche, but knowing when not to play always strikes me as a real sign of maturity. And I wonder if that's something that you feel, if that's a place where you feel like, okay, now I'm at this place now where I know I don't have to, I don't have to constantly be the person leading this thing. It can just evolve. Yeah, I'm still working on it. And I, 
I agree with you with what you said. I don't, I don't know if it's maybe it's cliche, but it's true. I guess it's cliche for a reason. Um, you know that I meditate often before I play, and I try to get to this place where I'm just comfortable with myself. And I I enjoy a lot of space in music, but I become afraid that it's boring or afraid it's not going anywhere. And but I. I play with people in my band that have the same idea that we're all bringing something to the table and we all want the music to be, you know, in a, a certain way. And, and yeah, I just, I'm just going to talk a bit about that particular session. And one of the reasons it sounds so laid back is because the bass player canceled at the last minute, the day before it happened, I thought, okay, instead of, instead of hiring another bass player, just, to basically sight-read the music on the fly. We're going to pick tunes where I double some of the bass stuff or I can, you know, it's going to just work out on the piano. And it's going to have a new sound. And I'm okay with that. And so it, it sounds quite open also for that reason. And I was happy with it. That's what I wanted to do. Will you say a word about the, the people who join you in those particular videos since we're talking about them? Sure. There's Ryan Ferreira on the guitar. And I feel like he has a similar sentiment. You know, he's he's an incredibly laid-back individual. For anybody that knows him, he it's awesome. <laughs> he's so great. And his playing is so him, you know. And I know what he sounds like, and I've, I just surrender that Ryan's going to play like Ryan. That's what's going to happen. Nathan and I have been playing for quite some time together. We met at the dance center, and... Um, became friends immediately and so he he I don't know he knows my playing really well and me his so it's just a level of comfort you know the uh my first exposure to Ryan um who who I used to live in Rochester and and so did Ryan and so uh, my first exposure to him was playing uh a guest spot in a live show by the Respect Sextet where he played uh a very like almost speed metal guitar rendition of the <laughs> of the Mentos commercial music. The Mentos fresh <laughs> and full of life. And he was on stage for a total of like 20 seconds. He just came on to play just that. <laughs> and he got off again. And I just thought, well, that's about as brilliant as it, as it gets. It was wonderful. And then, yeah, you know, exactly. he, he didn't do anything. But I mean, what he's playing with you in this video is about as far from a speed metal Mentos commercial as it's possible to get. And he sounds equally as assured in both places. I just, He's a really yeah, player. I forgot about that whole speed metal <laughs> side of him. Yeah, that definitely exists. Yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a very fine musician. Um, so uh, after college, did you did you have a sense that okay, this is the thing I'm going to do now? I'm going to start this career as a musician, and if so, what did you do about that? Um, well, you know, I like this question because I was just talking to my boyfriend about this. I looked at him and I said why did I pick such a difficult life for myself? <laughs> Literally said that this morning. Um, I, You know, after high school, when I was applying to school, I applied for jazz and classical programs uh, in Vancouver, where I'm from, and I didn't even think about what it's like to be a musician, uh, have a career as a musician. Uh, I just said, I don't really want to do anything else except music that's what I want to do so I'm gonna do it um 
And when I was finished college, I was teaching music and living in East Bend and happy. And I just kept doing that. And then eventually I became stagnant and a little bit, you know, not really excited about the scene as much. Although I just would like to mention right now, the Vancouver music scene is amazing. But side note. When you were teaching, were you also gigging at the same time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah, so I'm, I'm still doing those same things just now in New York City, um, <laughs> which is clearly a very high level of musicianship in the city. So you really got to step up your game. I've been meeting some great people. It's been great. Um, but it's really difficult living, first of all, in a different country as a non-citizen, uh, making enough money to pay this insane rent, just everything kind of came on me these last couple of years. And I'm like, life is not very easy. Why am I doing this? And the questions have only come up since I've moved to New York. It's so, so hard here, I guess. Is it necessary for you to be in New York to do what you want to do? Uh, <laughs> that's the question, right? Yeah. All um, of a sudden, I'm feeling like more like your therapist and less like a guy interviewing you. So you're you're welcome not to answer <laughs> these questions if you want. But, but no, I, mean, I it's love a it. Fundamental question, right? I mean, there's nowadays it does seem. I mean, for years and years and years and years, if you wanted to be a jazz musician, you pretty much had to move to New York unless you wanted to be a session player, and then you had to move to L.A. And that was really right. it. You know, there were. I mean, there are, are great scenes in other cities, but that was really it if you wanted to have any shot at making a life. And now it's not as clear to me that that's the case anymore. I mean, it's yeah. it's much it's, easier to build a career from wherever you happen to be in our media age than it than it was. It's true. It's true. A lot of my friends stayed in Canada and they have great careers and it's fine. I think I've always just wanted to know what it's like to be in the thick of it, you know? And we're in the city where this music started and it's you know, so many people here and I had to know what it was like. I never expected to stay. I've been here almost five years and I, I didn't expect that. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to be here forever. I don't really want to be, but I feel like for what I want to get out of the creative music scene, it's been really helpful to be in the city and I'm certainly going to stay for a little while longer. But it's not the most relaxed and pleasant environment. So um, it's not my intention to stay here when I want to start a family, et cetera. But I can't really say what's going to happen. But it's a good question because I think so many people that live here ask themselves the same thing. I know a lot of people that are, they know they love it here. New York's where I want to stay. This is where my career is happening, et cetera. I, I know many people, but... I know just as many people questioning whether it's worth it or not. So it's always a good question. <laughs> yeah, I remember, and I may have said this on this show, well, after after eight years, I've almost certainly said it on this show before, but I'll say it again. I remember the first time I moved out of New York City, I just remember feeling like my shoulders kind of dropped and I was just breathing more easily. And like I hadn't realized how fast I was moving and how how much you know, stress and and energy was exerted just to live there until I lived somewhere mm-hmm. else. And then I realized, oh, <laughs> wow, yeah, that's right. It is possible to live at a much more human pace. And I love mm-hmm. New York and I would move back there in a heartbeat if, if circumstances were different. But 
but I totally agree that it is it's a very demanding place and I often think that that in some ways it's very inspiring to be a musician in New York but I think mm-hmm. it's probably equally true that in some ways it's very draining I mean if your music is all about being contemplative or you know if you meditate before you play each time having just fought your way you know, off a crowded subway train, <laughs> you, got it. you know, it's, not, it's yeah. not, there's a reason, you know, Buddhist monks go up on mountains and they, you know, they didn't go into the, into the heart of the city because it's just, oh, yeah. it's hard to achieve that mindset sometimes. But it's the great to experience both. Absolutely. It's important to experience both. I think any, it would benefit any musician, maybe especially a jazz musician, I don't know, or really any musician to be here for some amount of time. Maybe a couple months, maybe a few years, maybe, you know, just to experience this. And was New York always your choice? Did you ever consider moving to Toronto or, you know, moving someplace else that wasn't New York City? I considered um, Europe. I considered Berlin mostly as a a second option because I speak German. I thought it would be fun to work on my language skills and, you know, play music in a different country and things like that but if I'm going to live in Canada Vancouver is the place to be it's so beautiful and so what made the difference between Berlin and New York um in the end I decided to come to New York because I I knew quite a few people here already and I I knew one person in Berlin I I thought I could build a community faster here so will you talk about that what's it been like to build a community over the last five years um well, mostly great because I've been fortunate that I've met a lot of people that feel similarly to me in the kind of music they want to make and just their temperament is very much like mine. At first, I thought I wouldn't meet anybody like me. You know, I'm kind of, I like to be in the woods and eat fresh veggies, etc. <laughs> that type person. But lo and behold, Brooklyn is the place to be. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're you're probably surrounded by people who are doing exactly yeah. those things, you know. Yeah, but I had no idea before I moved here. I was like, wow, look at this farmer's market. This is amazing. And I can bicycle everywhere. This is amazing. Um, That's one reason why I could stay a little bit longer than I anticipated staying. And there's quite a few Canadians here. It's nice to sort of reminisce about home. Um, community is incredibly important to me. I try to build community wherever I am. So even in my little neighborhood, you know, now I know my laundry guy, the barista on the street. I, it's important to me. It makes me happy.
Yeah, I um, it, it's at the center of my life too. I now live in a a college town in the center of Pennsylvania, where I, uh, other than for the family reasons that I live here, I never in a million years would have moved here. And when I got here, a lot of the things that I need in a place for it to be sustainable didn't really exist. Like there was no poetry series, so I started one. And I work in oh, right on. you know, in a place where I work in the one weird place in town. It's this cool like bookstore cafe performance space and all the cool weird people well, I don't know about cool, but all the weird people come there. And those are my people. So mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like it is just it's incredibly important, especially if you're going to be engaged in creative pursuits, to feel like you're not out there without a net. To feel like there are other people who understand what you're going through and support the life that you've chosen for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's something that, that matters a lot to you, too. matters a lot to me. And I think it's, it's not too hard to find in New York because there's so many people here eventually going to find, you know, that, that group of people that have similar interests. And I have many interests. So wherever I go, I often have many different little groups, groups of people that, that I'm connected to. Um, the thing about New York is people are coming and going very often. So it it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be strange that you make a group of friends, but the next year that group of friends has morphed into something else because people moved away, etc. So New York is changing so quickly, so rapidly all the time, and the time goes by so fast. You, uh, or all during this interview, I should say, people have been uh, hearing some sneak previews of a forthcoming album. Will you talk about that project? Yeah, I'd love to. I'm really excited about this. I started writing all this music the year I moved here, and so some of it is up to five years old, and I can't wait to have this album out there because I'm really, I'm proud of it, and it, it, um, all the music, it, I don't, I wouldn't say it sounds like New York City, but it's all influenced by my time here. So it, some of it might sound homesick or, you know, lonely. Sometimes it's lonely here. Um, yeah, I've, I've started this band. It's a quartet. Some of the songs are quintet. Um, but the core band is Ryan Flair on the guitar. He actually moved to Seattle, but still say he's my core guitarist. Um, Adam Hopkins on the bass and Nathan Elmendel on the drums. And so you have you been recording this kind of piece by piece? Did it did you do it in one big chunk in the studio? How has that worked? It's been piece by piece. Uh, I think it it was three sessions, if I remember correctly, over the course of two years. So we're done recording now, pretty much done mixing, and it should be coming out within the next few months. And by the time you were in the studio recording this music, had you and this band had played this music quite a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Um, yeah, nothing much to say about that. <laughs> but in, in other words, it... The, the gelling of the music and the understanding of the musicians' relationships to one another, those kinds of things had been had been figured out by the time it was time to record these people. Right, I see what you mean. Yeah, the core band of the quartet, yeah, we, we've been playing quite a bit and know each other well. Um, we brought the sax players in. It was a little bit of a newer thing, um, but I think it still sounds really great. 
some of that music was only learned with the quintet maybe a week before we recorded it. But I mean, we're in New York City. There's amazing players. People. That's one of the things I love about living here. You find these people in your community that understand you. So it it doesn't take them very long to to just fit in, right, with the music that you're making. And so who are the saxophone players? Michael Atias is on a track, and Angela Morris is on a separate track. Fabulous. Does this album have a name yet? It's going to be called Inside the Sun. One of the tunes is named Inside the Sun. So yeah, that's actually album. also one of the tunes, or maybe it's even two of the tunes on the Big Wrench sessions, right? I mean, I can't remember if there's more than one take of that song or not, but oh, it, it I'm pretty sure too, it's on yeah. There. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. They're like, we're just going to put both up. Okay. <laughs> 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 I'm that's like, great. I like the second one. We'll just put them both up. <laughs> Speaking of that particular title, Inside the Sun, do you do you remember where that title came from? Yeah, I do, and I just, I love this. Um, uh, <laughs> the piece, I, I usually almost always title my songs after they're written and after they've been performed a few times. Sometimes the titles change too. After they're played with the band, they sort of take on this new thing, right? Um, anyhow, so the end of Inside the Sun kind of sounds to me like something is morphing and turning and churning. And I was having a conversation with a friend about this particular part of the song. And he's like, yeah, like, like the sun and the sunbursts and you know how the sun is it's like a ball of fire and moving all around. And, and I was thinking like, yeah, and cells multiplying and all this stuff. And I, I love the sun. I live for the sun. I love the daytime and I love the summertime and I don't like the wintertime. So I thought having something to do with the sun was perfect for me. And yellow is my favorite color. So inside the sun. Wow. So it, it ties a lot together all in that that three-word phrase, that's great. I guess it does, yeah. <laughs> and there's another song in the album called Stars, and, you know, I kind of was thinking that I wanted the album title to have something to do with the universe in that way, outer space, kind of. I know there are some, uh, very soon, some chances for folks, uh, in at least in the New York area, to hear you play. Can you talk about those? Sure. So... Miss Jasmine Lovell Smith will be returning to New York to record an album with her band, Towering Poppies, which I play piano in. And we have two gigs. One is at Shapeshifter Lab, April the 7th. And the other is, uh, is a duo gig. We also have a, a duo project, and that will be the following day, April the 8th at Cafe Vivaldi. Uh, before we uh, finish up, I just want to make sure that we talk about uh, another uh, really wonderful group that you're in called Pugs and Crows. Um, will you will you mention that band and talk about you guys have, have had some great success in the Juno Awards recently, and I believe there's a record coming out, right? Yeah, so we do have a record coming out. It'll be coming out in two parts because we recorded so much music, enough for two albums worth. Um, yeah, the CD release for staff is June the 19th as part of the Vancouver International Jazz Festival, and it'll be featuring Tony Wilson on the guitar. I'm really excited about about the new albums coming out for that band as well. The last one won a Juno Award, so 
which is, uh, for folks who don't know, is kind of Canada's Grammys, right? Next is the Grammys, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then the American Grammys, exactly. Yeah. First, first the Junos, next the world. Exactly. Well, that's how it works. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's great. It's been uh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I really, really enjoy your playing. I'm glad we got a chance to to talk about it, and uh, I'm excited for everybody to hear this album. And I thank you very much for your time, Katorn. Thank you. It's been wonderful for me as well. Thank you. That was music from Kat Torin and her forthcoming album, A Little Sneak Peek. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the music to this show. They have new recordings on the way, so stay tuned for those, including a trio album, uh, which is really fantastic. Dave Rabel designed the show's logo. You can find... (laughs) <laughs> you can find Facebook online at the Jazz Session, I was going to say. But what I meant to say was you can find the Jazz Session online at facebook.com slash thejazzsession and, of course, at thejazzsession.com. Check out comedy at firstlaughs.com, poetry at jasoncrane.org. Find me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane, and find writing services for artists of all kinds at cranewrites.com. Have yourself a lovely week and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.